Welcome, everyone, to our latest NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. Well, on this edition of our show, we're going to take a little bit of a different look at COVID-19, take a deep dive into research that was done at Stanford University. And we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Calvin Wong, who is a clinical assistant professor of orthopedic surgery and the team physician at Stanford and co-authored this study that we're going to get into. Dr. Katie O'Neill, who is the assistant professor of medicine in the section of infectious disease at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine's branch campus in Baton Rouge. Maybe a little too worried the way I said that, but certainly uh, I will say this, Katie, uh, you have been credited uh, with really helping the SEC stay on its feet in these sports over the last couple of years. I have continuously been told that. Dr. Katie O'Neill, rock star, allowing us to play sports in the SEC. Just thought I'd throw that out there. And of course, Dr. Brian Hainlein, uh, who is the chief medical officer for the NCAA and has worked tirelessly over the last two and a half years during this pandemic to help us all watch and participate and those coaches out there coach these athletic teams throughout the course of this pandemic. So let's deal with this study on um, COVID-19 dashboards um, essentially across the country in the power six, sort of 65 power five, I guess we'd say football, so power five, 65 schools. Uh, Dr. Wong, let's start with you about what did you want to achieve in this study? And then of course, what did you find? Sure. And so we, when we were kind of going through the pandemic in the 2020 to 2021 season, I was in constant consultation with our student health specialists on campus and kind of looking at our positivity, test positivity rates between athletes and non-athletes. And we're always very curious, you know, are these athletes by virtue of playing sports, practicing, traveling, are they at increased risk of contracting COVID infections compared to the general population? And so as I was talking to them and preparing our data, we thought, hey, this would be really interesting to look at on a nationwide scale because there's very, lots of very building, variability between schools and local jurisdictions and public health requirements. And so we want to see across the country, you know, do athletes in general have higher test, positive, test positivity rates compared to the non-athletes? Or are they actually potentially protected uh, against infection based on some of the guidelines that the NCAA has laid out to allow for the safe uh, resumption of sport? And so as we started to do a deep dive into the numbers, we basically looked across every Power 5 institution across the country and try to find publicly available dashboards and press releases looking at you know, test numbers, number of positive cases, both among the athletes and non-athlete students at a given institution. And for those schools that we were able to find uh, comprehensive data for both those populations, we then did a statistical analysis to see, you know, hey, was there actually a difference between athletes and non-athlete uh, non students? And so ultimately we were able to find uh, complete data for 12 schools and at those 12 schools, we actually found that athletes by and large had very low test positivity uh, across the board. Uh, but then when we compared to the non-athlete students, you know, we initially hypothesized that these athletes would have a higher test positivity just given you know, some of the exposures they had within sport. We actually found that basically across the board that there was a lower test positivity in the athlete population compared to the non-athlete students. And so this was a little bit surprising to us, but you no, know, really goes to show the likely protective effect that the, the NCAA mitigation protocols that were in place last year uh, had on preventing COVID infection within the student-athlete population. So Dr. O'Neill, and I don't you know, want you to comment on the overall study, but one thing is, as Dr. Wong was saying this, 
you know, I think about the first year of the pandemic and really a lot of maybe part of the year two, you know, athletes in a lot of these institutions were the only student athlete students on campus. Um, and a lot of students, they might've been, if they weren't on campus, maybe they were on campus, just in dormitories or off-campus apartments online. So they weren't as much sort of into that general population or being exposed in a traditional college setting. They might've been in their lodging situation or in the general population going to restaurants or what have you. But in a traditional college setting, it wasn't apples and apples. So how do you deal with that? It's hard. And in any study, it's hard to compare. Um, Dr. Wong mentioned, you know, of these 12 schools, we have schools on the East Coast and West Coast, very different ideologies on how to test, how to mitigate on campus, but some consistency in athletics because we're all following the NCAA guidance. So that's very helpful in just comparing what that, um, what that effect of having a strong guidance system had on positivity and, and it appears to be protective and fairly consistent for athletic programs. Uh, what you also saw though, and the study didn't get into it as much, but for those of us that have been involved in multiple of these studies, the risks that athletes have are similar to what other um, college age students are going through. Your highest risk is having a roommate who's positive. Your highest risk is playing some sort of you know, video game or having a social event or going to, out with your friends and that occurs in every setting. It may not be condoned by your coach. It may not be condoned by your school, but it's happening. And what we saw is, you know, in some way, and I have to believe it's the rigor of the programs that we surrounded athletes with, they were more protected, even though they're doing those things, than college students. And then college students were more protected than the general public. So, you know, we, when we look at the percent positivity of the general public, 18 to 22 versus college students, they are more protected just being in college. And so any addition of a public health measure is helpful in keeping your positivity rate down. And that's just because testing and contact tracing and mitigation, they, they work. And I think this study just underscores the point that adding any of those things can be very helpful. You know, Dr. Hainline, uh, this may not be a data point, but it feels like in talking to so many different student athletes and coaches over the last couple of years, that because of the protocols that were put in place, that were adopted by these institutions, not advised by you and your group, not necessarily mandated, but they got into their psyche of, okay, this is how I have to behave when I'm not in this controlled environment. And of course, people, you know, lapse, but for the most part, they knew those mitigation strategies because they were put in place in their environment as an athlete. And ultimately that helped them probably in their daily lives away from the sports. What are your, what's your, what are your thoughts on, on that ability of those mitigation strategies that ultimately probably helped a lot of these student athletes and staff stay for the most part COVID free? No, I, I think that's a really important point, Andy. And that's the sort of thing that, you know, we can talk about, it's almost philosophical. It's not a data point that, that Dr. Wong or, uh, can study per se, or that Dr. O'Neill can really talk about in the editorial. But, you know, we've said so often that um, there has been such a phenomenal collaboration just across multiple areas for COVID-19. And, and I've always stressed the collaboration with the medical advisory group and working with the Autonomy 5 medical advisory group and with the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. But the number of meetings I had with coaches of all sports 
and athletic directors, and then the student athlete advisory committee members. This was really a complete buy-in. So the collaboration just wasn't what wasn't with the medical experts. The coaches were desperate to know how can we really re-socialize in sport. And so they took control and, and really set things up. And you know, an athletes as as a rule. They, well, they like to follow rules. So just tell me what I need to do to reach my point of excellence and, and I'll do that. And so, you know, I think the philosophical point, Andy, can be summed up something like this, that sport really is a metaphor for society and, and, and sport really as, as that metaphor, it can be a public good or it can be a public bad. And I think what happened in COVID is that so many people came together collaboratively because they wanted sport to happen and they knew what had to happen in order for sport to take place. And it worked out. And, and so I think that's why we, we, we saw the data points that we did. You know, Dr. Wong, I, I find like the Stanford case actually specifically very fascinating in that your campus, very controlled, strict protocols in Santa Clara County. And yet the athletic teams actually left Santa Clara County for weeks and months uh, and ultimately got through it. And the women's basketball team won the national championship. Uh, you know, so how did you balance like, okay, here's the controllable, but yet we're going to take them out of that control, but you need to make sure that you deal, you know, those mitigation strategies and, and, and follow them, even though we're now technically not under our control. Yeah. And so, as you mentioned, you know, Santa Clara County wouldn't allow college athletics to occur in the county during that fall winter timeframe. And so in a lot of ways, it actually was protective of the football team to be on the road because they were essentially in a bubble. They were either in the hotel room or going as a group to the practice field or to the game and not really intermingling outside of the sport. So as Katie said, oftentimes it's the, the roommates that are non-athletes that you're socializing with or playing video games with. It's going to the dining hall with other, you know, other students that are potential risk factors. And so, you know, in some ways, the having to be on the road was helpful in really further mitigating COVID cases within the football and the basketball team because they were away. Um, but it, from a logistics standpoint, it made things extremely challenging. And as we see from the study, it probably didn't reduce overall rates among the student athletes compared to you know, the non-athlete students. They, because of the strategies we had in place, they would have had very low rates of uh, positive cases anyways. So all of this makes a ton of sense. We've talked about this topic on this show over the last couple of years, which I've loved because I've learned so much um, about everything. But Omicron changed the game, Dr. O'Neill, uh, that, you know, as much as everyone could do the right thing, um, it was getting through and uh, just ripping through the country and, and sports teams, professional and college in December and, you know, into January. So how, how do you balance doing everything right, the data shows we did it, and then bam, here comes Omicron. I think Omicron gave us a couple of new challenges and, um, and then we also got very lucky. So we had a highly infectious variant and yet it was a mild variant overall. Um, if you come into the hospital right now, you may not feel that way, but overall numbers wise, it was a more mild variant. And because of that, we didn't stop a whole lot of travel. We didn't demand that we have no fans at games. We didn't put back on our 2020 hats with Omicron. If we had done that, we would have seen spread slow down. But because we felt like this would be something that we were vaccinated against, really, really high percent vaccination rates in our team. So we felt confident that they would get through it. We knew that as a community, none of our communities would shut down again. So there was no control. 
but could we play through this? Well, we have our mitigation measures. We slap them back on, we protect ourselves and we move forward. And I think the combination vaccination in place, we know how to mitigate for ourselves and a mild variant allowed us to, to make it through this winter without having to stop. Had this variant been a severe illness, I think that you would have seen a different winter play out. So there's always some luck on our side in sports, always, right? Because um, when, when, when great teams match up, sometimes it's just the way the game falls that day. And the way the game fell for us with this variant was very favorable for where we were right now. But I have to hand it to our athletes you couldn't have had a more highly vaccinated population of young people. And that is, as uh, Dr. Hainline said, that's pure motivation for a goal. And the goal is to play. And, um, and they did it. So when you look back at the vaccinations, which, which were great overall, what could have maybe been messaged a little bit differently, Dr. Hainline? I think the one lesson learned we, for the NCAA, and, and we met with the membership every two weeks, so the broad membership, is we just had a consistency in how we delivered, saying, look, this is what we believe is the best. We aren't saying it's absolutely the right, but this is what a group of experts said is the best thing to do. We always try to put a little bit of optimism in there and always try to say that we're, we're hedging our bets a little bit. This is what we believe is the best right now. This is how we're gonna get sports going. And I, I think if that same sort of approach could have been done for the public at large, um, it may have convinced more people to, uh, perhaps to get boosted. So we, you know, public health is, is, is not black and white. It never is. It's a mixture of so many things and that includes politics and religion as well. Um, but, but consistency of messaging, I, I, I think is what's key. You know, so I, look, I don't want to go down that slippery slope and that rabbit hole. Um, but I do, I'm just curious, Dr. O'Neill, because you've been able to stay above the fray, you know, and, and that's not easy. And I'm just curious how you were able in the SEC to ensure that, look, this is the right thing. And they did the right thing. And fans packed those stadiums and the teams got their, through their whole seasons. Just how were you able to keep your, you know, locked in to make sure your message got out and people did the right thing. I think it goes along the same lines as Dr. Hainline. We we put a group of people together who are experts. We we just had a phenomenal COVID task force for the SEC, people who understood the environment, people who understood testing, people who understood the athlete. And when that kind of group says this is what we need to do, there's there's trust. And so it's easier to message when there's trust. And then we were very careful to say this is this week's message. And especially in 2020, this is this week's message and I can't promise you that it won't change next week. So be ready for change. And I'm not going to tell you we're going to play until the day we start playing. So don't, don't ask, right? And that summer of 2020, there was never a, hey, we're playing. It was, we're practicing. We're practicing with pads on, right? We're getting a little bit closer because I think that when you try to tell the future in a pandemic, you often end up being wrong. And, um, and it's so easy for people to say, see, you, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, or you're giving a mixed message. So all you can talk about is the things you do in a day. And that was paying attention to the athlete. They are the core, making sure they're safe. And if they can say, they can, they can be safe, they can play. It, it worked out for us, but I think that's a lot of luck and a lot of cooperation between good leaders. Dr. Wong, uh, one last thing for you is that on the field of play, the court of play, we have not seen uh, transmission. Um, it's everything you guys were discussing before about outside of that. Um, wh why is that? Especially, you know, we, and Dr. Anlin, I've talked so many times, you know, wrestling, you know, you're on top of each, all these different sports, and yet there's been no overwhelming data that documents that that's where the transmission occurred. Why is that, Dr. Wong? 
I mean, I think the vaccination plays a big role in that. You know, with, with such a highly vaccinated population, and we know that it does decrease transmission and risk of getting infected. I also think that, you know, especially in the 2020, 2021 timeframe, we were doing regular testing, especially pre-competition testing as well. And so when you're doing this regular testing before competition, you know going in that you're going to be competing against people that have just recently tested negative. And so layering that on top also gives you uh, reassurance that the risk of infections on, on the field and on the court are going to be low. And finally, a lot of these events take place outdoors or even in arenas with excellent ventilation. So even if you have someone that is positive with the well-ventilated areas that you're in, the risk of transmission in a well-ventilated environment is again, very low. So it's really a multi-layered approach that prevents infection uh, in the field of competition. So I wanna give you the last word, Dr. Hanlon, because I think what you helped put together, uh, you know, I wish it could be mimicked, you know, in, in conference offices, legislation, and certainly in Washington, but you put together this medical advisory group from across all spectrums of universities, divisions, uh, specialties, and it really has been a tremendous collaboration of ideas to get the right message out, at least in our space. When you look back, it's still ongoing, uh, but what are you most proud of of what this group has been able to achieve? I, I think the thing I'm most proud of is that everyone was always looking for the common good. And how can we do sport in a way that's safe and that makes sense um, and, and is going to shift public health positively? And so there was always a, this goal of, of playing sport, but not for the sake of playing sport, but for doing it safely. Well, tremendous work, still work to do. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to, uh, you know, unbelievable uh, people like yourself that are doing amazing things to help um, everyone in your community and certainly the, the greater uh, sports world. There's no question about it. Dr. Katie O'Neill from LSU, Dr. Calvin Wong from Stanford, and of course, Dr. Brian Hainline, the Chief Medical Officer for the NCAA. Thank you all for your time. And as always, everyone can go to ncaa.org slash social series, where all our social series are archived. Thanks for watching, everyone.